Oh boy, this is gonna be great. Let's say backpack, check. Brown bag lunch with pre-squashed banana in it, check. Excuse notes with mom and dad's forged signatures, check. Application program interface designed by that way smart third grade kid, check. Now all I need is a podcast, check. It's bank to school, back to school on Bankadella. So what do you say you pull up a chair, sit down, and today, delivering our special dissertation, we're going to the head of the class. Up in the morning and out to school, the teacher is teaching the golden rule. First class with four terrific guests. We're going to talk about what we learned in 2021, what we still have to learn in financial services. So... No passing notes allowed, and there will be a test at the end of this podcast. And with that, I'm going to introduce our four special guests. And as I introduce them, I'm also going to ask each one of you to tell us what your favorite subject in school was and why. And I'm going to start out with Rich Longo, who is the Managing Director of Growth and Strategy North America at Mambu. Take it away, Rich. Hey, Lou. Yes. So my name is Rich Longo, based in the Orlando area with Mambu and decided to be on your program. So for me, it was history because I was lucky enough through high school to have four years of the same history teacher. And he really made it fun and interesting. And yeah, ever since I've been a big fan of history. Fantastic. And next up, we have an old friend. I'm so thrilled to have you back. Jill Homan, the president of Deep Target. I'm Jill Homan, president of Deep Target. I'm based in Huntsville, Alabama, and we do digital engagements at scale for account holders. My favorite subject, hands down, without a doubt, was math. And the reason is there's always a right and exact answer, and it always works out. And today, I still struggle with anything that is not like that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's a right and exact answer for everything at Bankadelic, but that's because I'm a prima donna. (laughs) (laughs) Next up, we have Isabella Gabowich, the COO at Sensible, old friends of ours on Bankadelic. Isabella. Take it away. Thanks for having me on, Lou. I am Isabella Gabowich. I'm the COO and founding team member of Sensible, a customer data platform that enriches and extracts insights from SKU-level data for the financial services industry. Now, my favorite subject in school, so like Rich, it was modern history. And in this case, it was because of the amazing teacher that I had who made the class. So Mr. Stewart. And what made him amazing was that rather than focusing on memorizing events, He emphasized the effects of those events on the society and taught us that it was the general circumstances of the time that could allow a leader to emerge and disrupt that status quo. And that perspective just, I found that transformative. Fabulous. Last, certainly not least, maybe even the head of the class, we have Mickey Goldwasser, who is the Vice President of Marketing and Chief of Staff at PayRails. Well, good morning, Lou. Thanks for having me on today. Well, at PayRails, you know, we create smarter digital payment experience. And in a nutshell, my job is to tell our story, both 
externally and internally. So I deal a lot with people. And so my favorite subject was anything to do with psychology or sociology. I loved, you know, what makes people think. I love behavior and things like that. So that was by far my favorite subject. The word psychology comes from the Latin for the study of the soul. Excluding other human minds, your mind is the most complicated piece of the universe that humans currently know about. The rules that govern it are mysterious. Now, one of the things we talked about off mic, and I think we have some fantastic perspectives here, is what we learned in the first part of 2021. Now, 2020 was obviously the big pandemic year. 2021, we began to see light at the end of the tunnel and some of those great advancements we made in 2020, despite the pandemic, came online and it was an opportunity to do new things in new ways, make some discoveries. So anyone who wants to kick it off, tell the audience, tell me about what we learned as an industry in that first part of 2021 up until now. This is Mickey Goldwasser. I think we kind of continued with the lessons learned in 2020. To me, the mantra was adapt, adapt, adapt. We kept hearing the term, the new normal. And that's not a phrase I'm very fond of. I always kind of talk about what's the now normal? Because each and every day, each and every week, each and every month so far, we've literally had to say, oh, how do we adapt to what's going on now? I think we all thought that the pandemic would be behind us by now. And unfortunately, it's putting up quite the fight. So... For us, we're constantly, I think, as an industry learning, how do we adapt to what's going on now? I think it's a series of steps forward and backwards, and how we adapt to that has really become a key to success. I love that, the now normal. In fact, I'm going to steal that, if you don't mind. They call that cheating in school. (laughs) 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 Hey, Lou, this is uh, Rich Longo over at Mambu. So I would say it really did some changes from a generational perspective, right? You know, in 2020, branches had to close down for an extended point of time and people still needed banking services, financial services. And so you had a generation that never felt comfortable with online banking and more automated tools because call centers were impacted with long waits because they didn't have the staffing, they couldn't access the branches. And they had to use a set of tools that, you know, they were just opposed to because they always banked a certain way. And that shift led to a lot of folks in that generation being okay now with those channels, right? And what you also saw is from a digital perspective, the way you know a lot of financial institutions operate digital banking, there was a point in which you would have to go into a branch. For example, if you wanted to do a debit card dispute, you would have to go into the branch and do some dispute resolution form and sign it and notarize it. And all of a sudden you couldn't do that, but you still had to conduct that type of business. So it put a ton of pressure on these financial institutions now to push out a lot of what used to be platform functionality and push it out to the digital platform. And even though things have started obviously reopening and we're seeing some with the Delta variant retracting a little bit, the momentum has not decreased. So you're seeing that momentum. And then you also have a change in products too. So if you look at, for example, you know, the emergence and the massive growth in e-commerce, the direct correlation to that was the growth of buy now, pay later and what that means in the market. And, you know, that's taken a lot of business away from the credit card industry, which is critical to some of the larger banks like Bank of America and JP Morgan Chase. So I think the new normal is 
a new normal in which our industry is not defined by its previous biases, whether it be by segmentation of the banking customers by age or tradition and the way they conduct business, not decreasing, but increasing, which is putting downward pressure on a lot of the traditional bank models. And they're having to accelerate pretty fast in that change. Absolutely. Acceleration has been the name of the game, whether any of us liked it or not. And I think what happened was a lot of us learned to like it. We learned to get used to it and we learned to jump on top of it. Now, if you don't mind, Isabel, I want to go to you for a second because we've had Corey Gross here, founder on the podcast, and he has always shared some wonderful insights. So I'm wondering what the learnings are on your end, especially as it pertains to sensible moving forward with some of this great stuff that you're doing. Thanks for that. So Isabella here, the way that we look at it, the industry has really been coming around to recognizing that as consumers, our identities matter to us. And we want the brands that we interact with to show us that they share our values. And so you have marketers who are no longer able to just rely on that broad-based marketing because there aren't any shared experiences anymore, because we're not seeing the same TV channels, the same ads, the same news media, even the social media that we have are so heavily curated that two individuals end up with diverging views of the world. So if you're a marketer, and this is something that in order to be relevant, you either end up speaking exclusively to one niche, or you have to look deep into the data that your customers are sharing with you. So here at Sensible, one of the things that we're able to do is look deep at the data down to the SKU level. And we publish a monthly industry report on consumer spending, which we call the barcode report. So one of the pieces of information that we were able to surface in our July issue was that overall consumer spending in the pets category increased 143%. That was both as a result of getting new pets and pampering existing pets. All right. So as a financial institution, why do I care about pet spending? But now you know something about your customers and you know who's investing on specialty pet food and pet grooming. And we found that there was a correlation in terms of people who are spending healthier in you know, fruits and vegetables also are picking specialty pet foods for their pets because they really want to take care of their health. So now you have data that lets you speak to those individuals far more personally. You can start including families with pets in your ad imagery. You offer pet insurance. Let them know that that product exists now in the market. You can start looking at the card loyalty partners that you're selecting and move beyond airlines and hotels, but also start looking at the pet smarts of the world. And you become relevant to them again by being able to understand the data that they're providing you with and using that in order to spark up a much more natural, personal human connection. Now, Jill Homan, that podcast we did some months ago on empathy continues to be one of the top rated podcasts Bankadelic has ever done. You've got your finger on the pulse of so much great stuff. What did we learn? Yeah, you know, I love what the guy said. My thinking there, you know, just bottom line summary the preference for digital services is clear. Now understanding your different audiences, and as Mickey said, adapting has never been more important. And that ties in with being empathetic. Baby boomers are predicted to pass along over nine trillion to generations following them over the next decade. We have got to be prepared to connect with these younger customers, taking into account those generations like what we were just discussing, and also take care 
of those VIP customers that have been with us and loyal to us for so long. So I think there's absolutely that empathetic thread that goes through the use of technology in the digital environment so that we are adapting to use Mickey's words again. I think that is going to be huge. I think the other thing we've learned, we were speculating about it, but you know what? Competition is real. It's coming from unlikely places. I think us paying attention as an industry, as a financial institution is just going to be the next big deal thing. And the only way we can really do that in a scalable way that is real and, you know, empathetic at scale, if you will. Isn't that something, empathy and competition, two things that would seem to be on opposite ends of the scale, but both so crucially important. What do we need to pay attention to as elements of the learning curve? What do we still have to learn moving forward? This is Mickey. One of the things we've seen at Payrails, and this has been a great conversation so far, because I think a lot of us are on the same page, is that this is crossing all generations. So the thing we've learned is, yes, people are very busy, but everybody wants to use services digitally. And there's an old saying, motivate me and I'll do it. There's certainly nothing like a pandemic to motivate people. But we found is, again, back to what Rich was talking about, older folks started using digital channels and they're like, wow, I like this. We have got to continually be looking at the needs of the consumer and what are the things that they're looking for. Jill might've mentioned it was, They're also not just looking to compare one financial service against another, one bank against a credit union, whatever. They're looking outside and seeing, hey, I'm having this experience with this other type of product. I know Isabella was talking about dog food. That's what things are getting compared to. So as we move along, we have to be very cognizant that needs are shifting and we have to be able to take part in that. Absolutely. And just to layer on, Mickey, the window of time in which to do this particularly for financial institutions, is shrinking incredibly quickly because of giant tech. And yes, there's always that response or that rebuttal of, well, they won't get banking licenses because of all of the regulation, but they don't really have to. They can still erode in FI's revenue streams without those banking licenses. You have in lending, Amazon using its data on high-value merchants to offer SMB loans up to $1 million. You've got PayPal's buy now, pay later that I think Rich referred to earlier, driving more consumer purchases away from credit cards, which reduces that interchange revenue. On the deposit side, Forbes just ended up reporting that one in four Gen Z and millennials call a checking account from their digital bank, their primary account. That's double what it was nine months ago. So if you're an FI, then you really have to start acting more like a tech company and not just on that surface by making the sexy digital banking apps, but in terms of looking deep at your customers' data to connect to them and to foster that loyalty. I can't agree with that more. I think there's really three fundamental areas that are pretty much covered by those of us who are investing in digital space and that trust and security, right? Convenience. And ease of interaction. So all of those have to be there. I think Isabella hit an our opportunity point. And it's for us to seize, and it's for FinTech to seize, and it may the best man win, right? But that's the opportunity of connection. And the only way you're going to do that is with, you know, insights and data, and then powerful ways to get that message out there and connect with me. The most vulnerable group 
are your Gen Zs and your millennials. And so it's an opportunity. And that's what I hope for our industry is that we view it as just that. Not so much as a challenge it is, but as an opportunity for us to seize. One thing that was learned through, I think, the PPP processes too is back office processes for a lot of financial institutions are still very manual, right? And there was this accelerated volume opportunity where institutions could have made a lot of money, right? They understood where there were challenges in their technology connectivity. So the digital piece is one aspect, meaning the channel where the customer is engaging, right? And providing more functionality. I think the other piece is the automation, taking humans out of the process, which can be components of friction. So you see more institutions focusing and trying to understand how to use tools like RPA, NLP, and automate the back office functionality as much as they can in layers. So that way they can give better service. They can connect to disparate systems. So that again, the growth of APIs, the connectivity, the piping, having and consolidating the data. And then more importantly, I think the final piece is with that data, then you can make it actionable and try to automate it. So we've been seeing a lot of movement in that area with institutions trying to rationalize and change, make technology decisions more so on a data set strategy, but the data set strategy to provide a return on investment from an automation perspective. To segue into what I think is the chance to tap into your expertise collectively here. When we talk about what we have to learn and all the great points that have been mentioned so far, I'm just wondering what it's going to take to get us there. What are some of the things that if we start down the path now, it's going to be positive. It's going to be fantastic. Consumers are going to win. Financial institutions are going to win. Everybody's going to be happy. Right. I'll kick us off. So Isabella here. I mean, we've been talking about, Jill, you referred to it as that opportunity to create that connection, creating that empathy within banking. And it's obviously incredibly important. It's urgent. It doesn't have to be over-engineered because of the fact that the customers that you have are already providing you with a lot of data themselves that can be leveraged. I'm going to go with an example. So let's say that I've recently decided to go back to school for a degree in a new field. And so you're a financial institution and you can see this about me because I've recently moved near state college. I now have new money transfers made to the school. My spending patterns have changed. I've got more books, more printing services. My food and drink spend is located close to the campus and my discretionary spend has gone down. So you've got an indicator that I might actually now be a returning student. Does your bank have products that are designed specifically for students already? Maybe they're checking accounts with complimentary Zelle transfers or special car insurance rates for students of certain colleges. And so you have products already that are targeted to students. Now you can talk to me through channels that already exist. You can talk to me through my digital app. You can talk to me through on-screen messaging when I visit an ATM because you know it's me. And if you're a small enough financial institution without many customers, you don't even have to automate all of the actions using these insights. Just generate a report for your operations team and have your branch staff call your customers a few times a year with a personalized conversation. You might be talking about how you as a small financial institution, as a credit union, you can support me as a student. But perhaps you know that Mickey here has recently started up a small business. And so your conversation with him is going to focus on how you support his needs as a new small business owner. So take the information that you already have available to you and use the existing channels and don't worry about 
over-engineering a solution and turning it into a five-year, six-year incredible technology digital transformation, take the small steps to create that human connection. Yeah, I mean, that's spot on. The other part of that is to, as a consumer, <laughs> I'm going to be real selfish, right? I'm looking for solutions that simplify my life. We've all talked about how busy everybody is. And so to me, the types of solutions that, and we use a term here at Payrails, solutions that kind of do it for me, whether it's, you know, remind me that I have a payment due or remind me that I usually pay something on the 15th, it's the 18th, and I might have forgotten it, but go a step further and just say, hey, would you like us to take care of it? So if I say, yes, I did miss that payment, it gets paid. So things that simplify my life are going to have a lot of value. And financial institutions that can tap into that, that's another way, another value added that they can give to their customers or their members that they're going to say, wow, that's why I go to that particular financial institution. This is Rich. Layering on top of what a lot of folks have said, I think you kind of have to look at the landscape as it exists today. And I saw one interesting statistic that really popped up. Certainly, I think anyone could Google this, but Chime is now the fourth largest retail checking account provider in the nation. They're not a bank, technically, because they work through a sponsor bank. In fact, because of the Durban Amendment, they work through multiple sponsor banks. And they now eclipse collectively all the community banks, if you bunch all the community banks together from retail account perspective, and all of the credit unions. You have JP Morgan Chase that's ahead of them and a few of the other larger banks. But what it says is, you know, what's important to the newer generation, right? And Chime has leveraged a lot in terms of open data, working with partners, finding out their customer and how they want to share their data and interact you know, making sure the money got to them in advance. So I don't think you have to necessarily over-engineer. In addition, Chime has been really good about advertising through the channels that they understand. What is that? TikTok, Snapchat, the social media accounts that are relevant to them. Financial institutions, they need to look at those sites. So we've democratized financial services, and now it's literally flipping the establishment over. If each one of you were given the chance to teach a class to the financial services industry, what would you call the class and why that particular topic? I love that question. For me, Mickey at Payrails, it's experience matters. Again, consumers aren't looking at experiences in a vacuum. They're saying, hey, I went to this website and I had a great experience. Why can't you, Mr. Banker, Mr. Credit Union, be like that? And so the class would be about the experience you provide has to be ever-changing. It has to match the needs of folks. And again, always striving to be better. That would be the class I would love to teach. For me, Isabella, I think the class would be something along the lines of not everyone is like me. And I say that because sometimes it's very easy to have strong feelings or beliefs on what people are going to do just by looking at my own motivations, my way of thinking. And I have to keep reminding myself that not everyone's like me or like you or the others on this panel. And so you really do have to take a look at the data. And when we ask questions of the data, 
not overgeneralize the trends that are emerging, but try to look for clusters of human behavior. So who are the groups of individuals who along some dimensions that we're querying against behave like one another? So you can start seeing which are the customers that might have a propensity to be new parents or be in the market for a new car, or if you look at their psychographic profiles, which ones are more likely to be budget conscious or eco-conscious and speak to them uniquely based on those particular behaviors and patterns that the data show. You know, for me, guys, I think the title of the class would be how to trade fear for progress. And the syllabus would be something like a departure from doing things the way they've always been done just because that's how it is, right? Some of these cool things, I mean, I do see intrinsic conservatism and fear. You know, we've got so much we can learn from socially inspired strategies and then making them smarter inside of our trusted universe that we sit here and actually own. We do own it as banks and credit unions and financial institutions. So yeah, a departure from how things have always been done just because. (laughs) My class would be how to learn from your kids or grandkids or 22 year old. You know, at the end of the day, there's this legacy expectation that they learn from us and grow in our ways. And yet this generation, they're establishing technology. They're bucking the trends. They're doing things in ways that we're tone deaf to. And there are things that I learned, like my daughter was teaching me how to short a stock based on a TikTok video. And there's software that they were promoting to buy to leverage how to short a stock. They're learning this way, right? If we intend to be relevant, I think we need to literally zip our mouths, sit down and listen to them and hear how they absorb information, how they learn because they're the future spenders, right? They're the future in terms of where they're going to go and not go. And that is where I think the tech companies are understanding that and leveraging brand and doing a whole bunch of other things, but doing it in a way where you're seeing massive growth and just look at the valuations of those companies, how many unicorns are developing. You know, you have Stripe that is 160 times revenue and valuation it's our opportunity to listen and so that would be my class hmm looks like arnold horshack from welcome back cotter has his hand in the air maybe it's jill homan jill you know me right i did the extra credit exercise and wrote a two stanza poem for you ah jill please step to the front of the classroom so here we go extra credit poem day after day more of the same Start early, finish late, staying in the game. Zooming, masking, and doing our best. Summer was filled with putting digital to the test. Fall brings hope of a COVID-free land with conferences and in-person meetings trying to stand. With adversity comes strength and endurance to last. So the hope is to be better because of the past. Outstanding. We get to pin that on the bulletin board. (laughs) Thank you so much, Jill. And to everybody, our fantastic foursome, Rich Longo of Mambu, Jill Homan of Deep Target, Isabella Gabowicz of Sensible, and Mickey Goldwasser of Payrails. You can look for Rich, Jill, Isabella, and Mickey. 
on LinkedIn. You're listening to Lou Carlozo's Bankadelic, the colorful side of finance. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at NMD Plus, based in London, Chicago, and Austin, Texas. If you like what you've heard here, be sure to check out NMD Plus's financial technology podcast, Dave and Darm Demystify, with hosts Dave Wallace and Darmesh Mystery. Bankadelic. Sponsored by the William Mills Agency. For close to 40 years, the William Mills Agency has served hundreds of companies that provide a wide range of products and services in the banking, payments, mortgage, credit union, and related markets. The William Mills Agency is the largest provider of PR and marketing services for companies that market to the financial industry. For more information, visit williammills.com. Have you thought about how you'll gain the upper hand in your search for stellar talent? Banker Hire leverages a niche industry with uncommon insight. They're committed to finding you qualified commercial and community banking, lending, compliance, HR, retail, and wealth talent. Banker Hire prides itself on listening and solving problems. Their approach is 100% hands-on and heads-up, giving you what you need to make smart, actionable decisions. For more information, visit BankerHire.com. Quantic is the adaptive digital bank that offers entrepreneurs, immigrants, millennials, low-income families, seniors, and others innovative banking products and services which embrace the diversity of circumstances that exist in the lives of customers while elevating their financial strength. For more information, visit QuanticBank.com. That's Q U O N. T-I-C-Bank.com. Thanks for tuning in to Bankadelic. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault. Our producer in Chicago is Jenny Elman. Thanks again to the William Mills Agency for their generous sponsorship. Thanks to Banker Hire. Thanks also to Quantic. I'm Lou Carlozo. You can catch me on LinkedIn. And as the feds close in on me and the other wise guys, I'll be thinking. Until next time, so long. Bankadelic is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago, and Austin, Texas. Good morning, class. Good morning, class. Thank you.